This podcast series is sponsored by Havwitz, the prevailing name in beautiful wood flooring design. Gracing the surfaces of hotels, workspaces, private residences and more, Havwitz offers stunning wood flooring and cladding options in all conceivable colours and designs. Visit our showrooms today or contact us for more detail at havwoods.com forward slash UK. Hello and welcome to the interior design business. My name is Jeff Hayward and I'm here with my co-host Susie Rumbold, past president of the British Institute of Interior Design and creative director of Tasuta Interiors in front of a live audience of designers at the fabulous Andrew Martin showroom on Walton Street in South Kensington. To say that our special guests this evening need no introduction would be a monumental understatement. Throughout the course of her long career, international interior designer and author Kelly Hoppen, CBE, has earned and received every possible plaudit. Her impact on our industry and the public's perception of the significance of interior design in their lives cannot be underestimated. But as if that were not enough, we're also delighted to be joined by Martin Waller, founder of the global design brand Andrew Martin, the internationally recognised Andrew Martin Interior Designer of the Year Award and the annual Interior Design Review. Once described as having the spirit of Peter Pan and the lifestyle of Indiana Jones, Martin's mania for collecting whatever intrigues him from wherever it can be found in the world has spawned a uniquely characterful handwriting that is globally recognised. Martin is also, of course, a longtime friend and collaborator of Kelly. Welcome to the interior design business. So, welcome to you both. And Kelly, can you tell us when did you first know you were going to be an interior designer? I think, like young, like sort of at the age of nine or ten. My mother always said to me that, you know, on weekends, um, all I wanted to do was look at show flats, you know, like go and look at property. And I, I sort of lived in a home that was very international. My mother was South African and there were always people coming in and out and they were artists and poets. And my mother would drag me around museums because when you're a kid, you don't want to do it and go to cities in half terms and go to museums and then write about it. And I was always sort of intrigued by the way people lived and my grandparents home in South Africa was very very much a part of who I am today even though it was the complete antithesis of my design it was a, the way it felt that kind of home coming home so literally at the age of uh, 13 my mum said do you want to get rid of all the pink flowers in your bedroom and, and of course I said yes and she said how do you want it this is what it looked like it had a white shag pile carpet it had chocolate brown felt walls and on the edges was in chrome. I had a very modern, um, is it atrium chair, like sort of silver modern chair. Um, I had white shutters, a hideous duvet cover, I remember that, but everything else was quite cool. And I, you know, when I look back at that at 13, that was quite different. I was still painting my walls purple. Oh, were you? Yeah, well, no, I, <laughs> With an orange ceiling. That could have been quite cool. <laughs> yeah, it was very 1970s. Yeah. But I was always organising things and when my parents would go out, I would move everything around apparently in the house. So it was kind of inbred. Having said that, 
I found an architectural digest and that was the defining moment. And this is not a lie. I remember seeing, and they still do it, I think, with the before and after. Mm. It was one page and it was a small little picture. And I used to lie on the landing upstairs with all the encyclopedias. I was obsessed with them. And I remember looking at this magazine and I, was, I couldn't believe the difference. And I just knew that's what I wanted to do. Those of us who love vintage and, and all that kind of rough industrial stuff always like the before picture better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's the difference between you and I, though. <laughs> and how does this, all this kind of early interest and in obviously something that's really innate in you lead to your first project? Well, okay, so I was 16 and a half going on 17 and my stepfather had a friend, they were in the war together, who had a kitchen that needed doing in Elveston Place. He was an alcoholic, so was the builder I found, and therefore the job was a total nightmare. So that, and somewhere in my studio there is an image of that kitchen, I'm still looking for it. But then a girlfriend of mine, and this is the honest truth, was having an affair with a racing driver. And I was used as the front for them to have the affair, but I ended up doing a house just off the Boltons for a very famous racing driver. And that was the beginning of my career and where I met John Minshaw, who made my, you know, lack of furniture and, and, and had a builder called Ted Kopok, who ended up, when I got the next job, who was Keke Rosberg, buying one of Keke's racing cars. I mean, it was, it was crazy and it all happened really quickly. And I was self-taught and learnt it all as I was going along. And did you have any formal design training? Nothing. Oh, actually, I did one of those short courses at Inchbald. I think it was a six week course and they still have it up at Inchbald, my report, which said if Kelly had attended more, there might have been some potential. <laughs> wow. Wow. So yeah, self-taught, yeah. And Martin, what was your background? How did you get to where you are? How long have we got? Yeah. We got? <laughs> exactly. Silly and, question. And how do I get back? <laughs> Don't worry um, about getting back. Just get us there. When I left school, you know, I was useless at everything. Um, I, I went to work at Peter Jones. And you know, I always loved shops and, and uh, retail. I was very influenced by Bieber. You know, which, yeah, oh, yes. Barbara Hulaniki, still one mm. of my great heroines. I mean, she was incredible. So I went to work at Peter Jones and, and I was there four years. And, and by the time I was 22, I knew absolutely everything there was to know about everything. Um, it's only now that I've forgotten it all, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and, and that was when I started Andrew Martin, which was, you know, in the, in the 1970s. And, and was it your love of collecting that kind of took you down that route? What was, what was your original intention for Andrew Martin when you set up, when you thought, woke up one morning and went, hey, I'm going to set up a shop and it's going to be called yeah. Andrew Martin? Where did the name come from? Well, I, I started this business with a, with a guy I worked with at Peter Jones called Andrew Gillespie, uh, who is now doing sterling work, holding up, encased in the cement, holding up the Hammersmith flyover. So I, I've left him Oops. there for... <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I mean, so he very sensibly left Andrew Martin early on and I was stuck with it. You know, I've never forgiven him. When you first set it up, what, were you, what did you think you were setting up? Was it this, where we are here tonight? I, I guess I was influenced by the great stores of that era, Zarak, 
Do you remember Zarak, yes. you know, who was so fabulous? I mean, in those days, Sloan's... Oh, my God, yeah. Sloan's... I've still got a table of his. Really? Yeah, Daisy were... has it. Oh, they were so great. Yeah. And, and in those days, Sloan Street wasn't just full of uh, Chanel and, and, and Hermes and the big brands. They were all home stores. Yeah. George Spencer and Charles Hammond and Zarak. And, and um, it was all very inspiring yeah. then. So it was home store you were trying to set, you were setting yeah, up? It was a, yeah, it was always a home store. And, but were you thinking you were going to pepper it with your love of collecting? Or is that something that's subsequently I, evolved? I guess that's evolved, you know, the more I've travelled and, and the more things I've seen. I think that you were such an innovator in what you did because those, you know, stores that you're talking about on Sloane Street were sort of at that high end. They were almost quite frightening. They, they had a, a sense of style that was that style. What you created, and I think your love of collecting, and I think at the time you probably didn't even realise you were doing it, was creating a home within a store. Mm -hmm. And that's what you've always done here. People would walk in and get lost. You know, I know you hate it if I was to come in here and say, can I style this as Kelly Hoppen and only have that? You'll go, no, because you want people to see it all together. And in a way, that's quite rare because people come in and they get lost in the store. Mm -hmm. And they end up spending more money, I'm sure, because they go from one look to the other. And you're giving them this extraordinary choice. And I think from day one in that small little store, which I think was this side, or was it that side? It was actually... That side. In Chanel, I think. In Chanel, yeah. 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 You know, we all used to come down here yeah. and meet on a Saturday yeah. and have a coffee yeah. and stand outside in the street and mm. talk and then come in and see a new cushion or a mm. chair, whatever. It was a meeting place. So I think you created a culture that hadn't been seen before in the UK. In America, there was more of that, I think. Yeah, ABC, for yes, example. Yes, exactly, yeah. which was genius. But mm. no one has done it since you've done it. Like, it doesn't exist. So I think it's very rare. So did you guys first meet in the store? Is I've that known him since I was about 17, 18. Ah, so tell me, so when? you were talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Were you just friends? Where did you encounter I remember you buying a Thai tea table, coffee table, and that was a very long time ago. That was the moment. A very long time ago. Amazing. Yeah, a long time ago. I hope you still got it because it's an antique now. I don't. There's so many things I wish I still had that I've sold, let me tell you. And that was one of them. Where did the inspiration for the awards come from? Well, in the 90s, it was 96 we started, but it was already evident that interior designers didn't really get that much recognition. I mean, I'm a great believer that our homes are, the phrase I always use, is a building block of happiness. You know, we, our homes are very important to us. And interior designers create those. I mean, they, they create them for their clients, but also what they create is seen all around and impacts on the way we live, you know, the way everybody lives. So, Interior designers weren't getting the credit for that. And, I mean, you only have to see what Kelly has done in, in her life. She was our inaugural winner way back then. She must have won it when she was 17. Yeah. yeah. I think somebody said 1996. Yeah. yeah. It was, you know, which is... And I remember the moment that you called me. I was sitting in my Stratford Road studio. Yeah. Um, and I was with Judy Tobias oh. at that moment. And I think you told her, and that's why she came round. Right. I'm sure that there was some kind yeah. of conniving going yeah. on. And uh, 
you called and I remember picking up the phone and you told me and it was just such a moment for me. I was so overwhelmed and so thrilled. And then Lucia van der Post wrote the piece in the FT, How to Spend It. And if you got a piece written by her in those days, you were made. Yeah. And so it kind of gave me this confidence that I didn't have to prove myself anymore. So you, what you did for me was quite a big thing, actually, when I think back, because you're always trying to prove yourself. And straight after that, Terence Conran asked me to write the book East Meets West. So it was a real ah. double whammy where I was just like, well, I'm on my way. I can just, you know, do what I love. And I think you're right. It's such a remarkable thing. And I think in England, designers were not thought of in the same way as they were in America. In America, like my decorator, you know, they were yeah. put on a pedestal. Yeah. We were just designers in, in England. And I think your award really changed that perspective in England so that we were on par with America and the whole kind of um, revolution, if you like, of design, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, before you, really, you've got to go back to David Hicks yeah. yes. to find a household name in, in British interior design. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you've inspired a lot of people in the interior design profession, but much more than that, it's an example of how to build a business, how to build a brand, how to inspire young people uh, to set up on their own. And actually, I think that's as much of an achievement as the design. Yeah, I know. mean, I love doing all of that. But yes, I mean, but I think, you know, it's amazing what you do. And I think also because it's so international now, mm -hmm. you know, you could have just kind of stuck to the UK, but you've opened up those doors to literally the world. And I think people just so I think even when people send their work in for something like that even if they don't win they feel like they've achieved mm. something and then they end up in the book which yeah, is a big yeah, deal it's mm. huge. Yeah, it is huge so just because I'm interested in just where were you in your career at the point that you won that major award you know my business was big you were doing well I was yeah. doing well yeah. I never advertised it was always word of mouth I was working for very famous people when I started not because I wanted to because it just happened and I never spoke about who I worked for. And it wasn't because I was being clever. I was scared that if I did, I would lose the job. Sure. But what I found out was I was still getting the work. So I always kept that mantra that I would never talk about my clients unless one of them talked about it, which I was always thrilled about. But the business was doing really well. You know, it had really kind of skyrocketed and I was on the map. And, uh, you know, in those days you didn't have Instagram. So you would have to work with a, a PR and go out and meet journalists and talk to them and say, I'd love to show you my work. So it was, it was real networking time. And so when you got a double page, you know, in the Telegraph or the Times or something, that was a big deal. You'd run out to get the paper and it was a, a biggie. But then you had to do your next job and then get was it Fritz von Schulenberg at the time was the big yeah, photographer yeah. and he would photograph it and you'd get it in House and Garden or one of those. But it was organic. People say, you know, over the years, oh, you've done so well so quickly. And I'm like, seriously? <laughs> like, you know, it's hard work yeah, to build huge. a business, but you've got to be passionate. And um, you, you, you have the knocks along the way, like we all do. And then when you wrote East Meets West, was that how the public began to become aware of you, do you think? Up until that point, you'd been working quite exclusively for 
quite famous people and this was very discreet and, and you were doing yes, the beautiful homes. Yes, I suppose homes. it was the first public thing that I had published. Um, and then it was shortly after that that my name became a brand when Wedgwood came to me and you know, various different brands to do licensing. And I had studied Martha Stewart. I was intrigued by her for years and my mother was very good with licensing. And so I started to license product and that's when the brand started to grow in a different direction. Yes, yeah. So, but it was organic, you know. And what about you, Martin? How did Andrew Martin grow over the years? Fast. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Kelly is saying, you know, it's, it's been up and down. You know, at one point we had nine showrooms in America, showrooms in Moscow and St. Petersburg, which of course is not so great now. German Dubai, Shanghai, Dubai, you know, and all these places. So we, we've grown in different directions at different times. Was there a point where you became aware of an international movement in interior design? You mean the, the look of things coming from all over yeah. the world? Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, you see, I don't think we can make that a 20th century thing. I, I mean, I think ever since Marco Polo got to Xanadu, you know, that's been a thing. Well, certainly if you look at, at British old, you know, sort of traditional homes where people have lived, travelled, people have brought things back from there. India, from, from all over. From yeah. India, yeah. from the Grand Tour, you know. My the, grandmother's the home was full of, you know, so I yeah. think you're right. Yeah. And you know. Sheenoiserie has been a huge yeah. thing. You know, going, yeah, and all of those great yeah. designers and, and all had all the, the Eastern stuff yes. there. Yeah, yeah, Rococo period. So it's and, just a, yeah. a, a, the, the modern evolution, the <clears> next step in something that actually has been with us for a long time. Yeah, I mean, the Emperor Marcus Aurelius and what about? 220 you know he was mixing silk from china with linen you know really? then into uh, i mean which would be an incredibly cool thing today unfortunately uh, the sex scandals meant he got assassinated by his praetorian guard but until that moment <laughs> he was very cool but if i'm just thinking about if, if that was something that perhaps only very wealthy people had it people that traveled and had families that you know had collected things you perhaps have made the style more democratic or the style became more, it became more accessible to the general public. Was there a moment when it began to kind of... Can I answer that? Yes, please. No, because I just, no, do you mind? <laughs> no, because I think pe all people bought things on their travels, no matter what level you were buying. You know, when so you went to Spain, you'd donkey. buy the little thing, the dog, <laughs> it didn't matter. People always bought then a souvenir. Then it became something different because as the years went by, you know, people were writing about interiors rather than people buying books like David Hicks. Mm. And then, you know, it just, I think it was a very slow evolution that people started looking at their habitat was a, a big moment for that, where people were mm. going to habitat. And that was like, what was cool, what was trendy, whatever. So I think Architectural Digest was a rich man's magazine, but then you would start to see things appearing in papers. And I think it was more about education and teaching people that you could do things to your home. Don't you think? Yeah. It, was, it was something that just evolved naturally. Then of course now with social media, it's everywhere. But then it was uh, a slower process. But I think everybody has done things to their home in their way and sort of brought things from their past, from their grandparents, from foreign countries. I think that's always happened. It's just maybe hasn't been as refined as what you're talking about. And different things from different places have their moment mm. in, in, in the sort of fashion. I mean, so... 
when you were, you know, a baby, <laughs> making East meets West, you know, that huge thing. You know, there, there were all the wedding cabinets and lacquered trunks yes, and, Buddhas, and Buddhas yes, yeah. and more of an emphasis. I mean, there was a lot of uh, sort of old Chinese painters' tables and all of that. But there was also Southeast Asia, mm -hmm. which was different, mm -hmm. you know, the, from Teeth. Thailand yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and all it that. It was huge at that time. Yeah. I mean, it was massive. And my love of East meets West didn't come from that. That was finding a trunk on Portobello Road, falling in love with it, and doing up an apartment after my father had died and not having the money to go and buy the expensive fabrics. So I went down Great Portland Street, found calico, hessian, and cheap fabrics like ticking that were used for upholstery underneath and then mixing it with a bit of silk and a tiny bit of fortuny and that was the creation of East Meets West. But I didn't really understand why yeah. until I look back at it now. Yeah, and then it became bubblegum, you know. Eastern stuff was everywhere. There were Buddhas everywhere, chess and copies and everything else. It almost ruined it, but then it resurfaced better. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was that when I first went in my, in my early 20s to the Jim Thompson house oh, in Bangkok, yeah, yeah. you know, and, I, and you saw how Oriental antiques could be used in a different way. Mm. And, um, oh, the good old days. <laughs> And yes. do you think UK designers have really been at the vanguard of internationalism? Um, not particularly. Mm. In the 18th and 17th century, there were an amazing amount of Chinese merchant ships that went to South America. You know, to the, mm. you know, there were Spanish boats, galleons <laughs> taking it, taking it there. I mean, the quantities of Chinese porcelain yeah. that was imported hundreds of years ago. I mean, it's mind-boggling. Ottoman carpets and and all these things, I mean, tons of it, you mm. know. I would love to take the credit, but, but, but I don't think, Yeah, you know, but you showed true. it in a way that people hadn't seen. And I think that, you know, again, having a showroom, and we look around today in, in London, and there, there aren't any, you know, and you bringing this taste from different corners of the world and putting them in with modern furniture was groundbreaking. And for people walking into a store, that didn't know about design, but they knew they wanted to do up their home and they didn't have a designer and they wanted, they walked in and suddenly they knew they wanted it even though they didn't know. And that's a real art, but you do it naturally, you know, when you put things together. I do it naturally when I put things together, but people don't naturally have that ability. And I think that's what's so great. This is a bazaar. It drives yes, me mad because there's so yeah. much okay, stuff in it. here. Yeah. But you know, it's like my worst nightmare. But and were you at all self-aware that you're the Indiana Jones of interior design? Of course he was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting to, to to find all that treasure. I'm always fascinated by those Indian temples, you know, in the south of India, mm. which are full. I mean, absolutely full of treasure. You know, that the Indian states trying to get their hands on, but the but the monks won't let out. So I just think somewhere in between the Indian government and the Hindu monks. There's a spot on Walton Street. There's a spot for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And were you guys, when did you start actively collaborating together? We did a fabric collection. Oh, no, it was really good as well. It was really good. Yeah. How long ago was that? I mean, that was, was a long time ago. I remember the shoot because it had my signature moss balls yes. and it was linen that looked like it was a runner. 
you know, because I was always doing these runners, and we did chairs and... Yeah, oh, and we fantastic. wove it in Belgium, and technically it was very difficult. That was a big moment for me, yeah, having a fabric collection. Yeah, it was lovely. It was really cool. Yeah. And how long ago was that? Oh, God. That oh, <laughs> <laughs> was a long time ago. That would do well again, though. It would. It, yeah. was, it was beautiful. And have you collaborated on other things? I mean, obviously, we've, we're looking at a fantastic range of furniture here, which we'll talk about in a minute. We have but done other things. We've done loads yes, of stuff. Yeah. You know, I can always call Martin and say, you know, I've got something I want to do. And mm. he, al he always says, let's do it. I've mm. That's the one thing that whenever we get together... I'm just a boy who can't <laughs> say no. <laughs> well, well, I was going to say, what do you think it is that makes a good collaboration? Is it personal chemistry? We have a great friendship and we've known each other for a million years and I think all the times we've spent together we've had a really good time <laughs> yeah. and we always have a laugh and I love Martin's knowledge and his honesty and I don't know it's yeah, just and always kind of worked. We've done events in strange places and I mean those random cities we've been in China opening stores and I mean we've things. worked in China long before anybody else did so like we would turn up in China when no one would speak English. Mm. Like, literally, we, we wouldn't be able to say, show us to our room. Mm. Um, you know, we've been in quite a... It is a bit Indiana Jones. Mm. <laughs> so, Andrew Martin Awards, you have an enormous number of entries from China, don't you? We it's do. I'm, I'm going to China in a couple of weeks and for the event there. I mean, it's, it's mega huge. in China, absolutely mega. Mm. Why do you think that is? Well, I think... Chinese design has had an extraordinary flourishing over the last 15, 20, 20 yeah. years. 25, I think. Well, maybe. But I was one of the first people who said <laughs> in China that Chinese designers are doing incredible work. And, you know, a lot of people were very sniffy about it. Yeah. And you said they're just copying and all of this. And it wasn't true. There is a, a new paradigm of Chinese design based around things like incredible lighting, fabulous uh, ceilings, fabulous staircases, massive scale, mm. water features, you know, and completely different from uh, European much, design. Yeah. And, and the, the, they're doing astonishing things. And they're developing their own handwriting, their own, the, they have yes. their own signature. I mean, not, not the same handwriting again and again. You know, there's lots mm. of different looks sure. within there. But they're all a bit different from, from what we would do. But they're great followers. Like, if they love a brand, they support you. They're real warriors around you. You know, I mean, I've worked there for 25 years and it's been magical. You mm. know, like, if, they're, if they support you, they support you. Mm. And they, they will always follow you. Well, you're a big you. star there. Okay, yeah. well, so what's yeah. the most exciting project you've worked on in China? Oh, I've done so many. I've done so many. Have you so got a favourite? No, I just love every project I do. You know, but it's I've had an, a remarkable journey in China and I have an amazing following there um, and I'm mobbed when I go and I, I miss going actually. Something happens to me in Asia, like my past life, I was somewhere in Asia because I get a real sense of something and it really inspires me and I miss that going there, you know. Um, there's something about it. I don't know what it is. Are there other cultures that have the same effect? I mean, I love going to different countries. You know, I've just come back from Azerbaijan, I was telling Martin, and it was just so inspiring and amazing. And I think travel, it, for me, is one of the, the best forms of inspiration because you're thrown into a different world, a different culture, a different smell, a different taste, 
uh, different dialogue, you know, so you can't be that same person you are every day. You are, you have to be different because you have to embrace it. And for me, East Meets West came out of that because I loved the East, the harmony, the balance, the simplicity mixed in with our world. I've always liked a balance in design, so. What age were you when you started traveling to the East? I think I was probably early 20s, like 23. Last so, year? No, a long time ago. And the, but the first place I went to was Thailand, so that was very different from China. And that was also interesting, yeah, isn't it? Like yeah. you think you're going to Asia, it's all the same, but every city, Vietnam, mm. I mean, just mind-blowing. You know, don't get me started. So I'm going to Xanadu. <laughs> oh, are you? In, in, oh, wow. At the end of the month. Ooh. Marco Polo, yeah. Wow. So There's nothing there, but I'm still going. <laughs> so you've been able to tick it off the list. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bucket list thing. And what about you, Martin? When did you start travelling? Yeah. Before or after you were working at PJ's? I travelled to some places, but really as soon as Andrew Martin started, you know, I was on my way to you India to, to buy durries and, yes. and Tibet to buy you know, Tibetan carpets, and China. I remember, as, as Kelly was saying, you know, when you went to China, people came up and touched mm. you, you know, because they, they hadn't seen a European before. And Africa, too, you know, I'm, I'm obsessed with African stuff, too, African textiles and, you know, all those tribal art that so inspired Matisse and Picasso and all that kind of thing. Love all that. Yeah. And what's the craziest, most remote place you've ever found yourself? What well, were the, you doing the, there? The, the, the crazy. <laughs> Do we the want to know? The, the craziest was Nagaland, you know, which is west of Burma, because I was the first Englishman for 40 years to, wow. to go to that place. And, and that was extraordinary. But the most remote was when I was hunting for mammoth in Siberia. Sorry, hunting for mammoth? Yeah, they, they weren't there, but I, I was still looking. But I was hunting for tusks and wow. mammoth things. I got arrested at. Moscow Airport with, a, <laughs> with with the head of a mammoth trying to take that out of the country in your back pocket. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Yeah. wonderful. So, Siberia is remote. You know, it's, Siberia is eight time zones from Moscow. Wow. wow. Where have you been? Where you've been most surprised at, at being recognised or, or people coming up to you and saying, "Hey, Kelly Hopper, and I love you." Is 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 that a Bhutan? Bhutan. Yeah, in a up the top of the tigers. Somebody came up to me, yeah. I was in Timbuktu and a woman came up to me and she was a Swedish philanthropist and she was doing something for schools in, in Timbuktu. And she came up to me and she said, I bought all my furniture from Andrew Martin and you didn't give me a discount. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, get, I get complaints wherever I am. <laughs> And talk to us about the collaboration you're working on today. So I'll tell you a funny story about that. Can I tell them? Oh, absolutely. Go so for it. So when I called up Martin, I said, look, I've just done this collection and I really want you to have it in the shop. And as I said, Martin will always say, come over, have mm. a coffee. And I bought the iPad and I was going through the pictures. And at the end of and he, he had a strange look on his face. Normally he'd be like, amazing, <laughs> da, 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 da. And he went, I'm just a bit worried. They look a bit like stiff. I went, Martin, these are CGI's, they're not the real thing. Do you remember that? <laughs> no. So then we'd wish, yeah. no, yeah. you don't remember. <laughs> but I scarcely remember anything. <laughs> so talk to us about this collection. What, what, what have you got on show from Kelly today? Well, the, the thing about Kelly's look is 
it's, it's evolved over time, really. But there's certain things that have always been constant. I mean, you love something that's round and circular and things. I mean, there's lots of straight lines in, in your work, but you like to contrast it with... with softer shapes. Softer shapes. Mm. And all of this, everything is you know, really softer shape. That. You know, it's all, it's all curved. I mean, the media unit, you know, that, that's, that's curved. Sofas are curved, all the chair arms are curved. But even the backs of those chairs are curved. So it's a very distinctive, different look, you know, it's, and, and, and very Kelly. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the collection is supposed to be a collection which each piece can stand on its own, rather than what we've done before, which is sort of create room sets. I'm sort of over that. It's more about, like, you can just have that one piece. And, yeah, I never really thought about the curves and things. Thank you. <laughs> Pointing and it out. how long was it in gestation? Because you mentioned that it, you, this is the first time you're well, seeing it. Well, this is part of a much bigger collection, which is still evolving. I just know that we had started designing another part of this collection pre-COVID and then COVID happened. So we couldn't go like normally Root and I would go and we'd go to the factory and everything was done on Zoom. That must have been really frustrating and painful. It was for everybody, wasn't mm. it? <laughs> so much so. Yeah, but you know, it's lovely to see it in reality and it's not that hard, is it? It's gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be sleeping on it later. <laughs> what continues to inspire you both in interior design? Well, for me, it's people. You know, you meet incredible people wherever you mm. go. You know, when you travel and, and, and uh, you meet suppliers or, or, or colleagues or clients or, I mean, people are extraordinary mm. you know, every, and, and fascinate, continually fascinating and, and very inspirational. People are so smart. Mm. You know, for someone as dumb as me, I'm always astonished how, how brilliant people are where, wherever you go. Yeah, there's that. And I think for me, it's the, my job, it's the intimacy that, you know, when you're designing for people, like we don't only work private, we, you know, we do commercial, but there's that, I love getting into people's worlds. And as you say, mm. creating the magic, the dream. I mean, I just love new projects. I love getting my teeth into something new. I like the, the fact that every day is different. You don't know what's going to be at the other end of a phone or an email. Every day I open up my phone, I just think, what's going to be there today? Still, and I love that. I like that kind of messiness of it because everything else in my life is so ordered. But the, that thing about designing for people, it is a kind of sacred trust where they let you into it's such... It's terrifying. Them. It is. <laughs> yeah. It's a responsibility. There is a terrific, yeah, you know... definitely. You know... Yeah. And where do you think things are going to change in the future? You've seen a lot of change, Martin. Where do you think it's going next? Well, it's, it's always hard to predict of course. a change. I do think this conversation between the past and the future is going to get much more important. You know, people, um, you know, there's all this technology happening, but there's also an appreciation, I, I think a growing appreciation of uh, now that we'd lost, of of the antique and the old and, and the handcrafted and, and um, the artisan made mm. and all those things. That dialogue between the past and the future, I think, is, is going to be sort of critical to the way designers think. I think there's going to need to be more thought. I think there was a period where a lot of people were on autopilot with design. Mm. And I think you're right. I think because of COVID and what everyone's lived through, I think the home is very, very important. And people look at it differently. 
they, they need it to, even our new home that we've just moved into, we designed it to work for us. And I would say it's probably the first time that we've ever done that, you know, where normally you would automatically. Well, that, bit, yeah. yeah, you know, I put my hand up or that the gym always goes downstairs. Mm. No, I want it upstairs where I can look at the sky and I can look at the trees, you know, it, instead of it being a bedroom. So I think, you know, everybody's thinking differently. And I think, as Martin said, it's about, you know, antiques and craftsmanship and, and looking at things in a much more specific, uh, magnified way, because it's important. Whereas a lot of that wasn't before, it was for show, it was for the wrong reasons in a way. And what would you say are the biggest lessons that you've both learned in your careers? Oh God. That's a tough question, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> God, I mean, there's so many. <laughs> yes. Particularly for you, I mean, Agnes Garrett was the first woman to set up an interior design business in the 1870s. I mean, an amazing family. Her sister was the first woman to qualify as a, a doctor, first British woman to qualify. And her other sister was president of the suffrage, women's suffrage oh, movement. Wow. I mean, they were remarkable people. And uh, she wrote that famous book, How to Decorate Your Home, or whatever it was called, which was a bestseller in the 1870s. Mm. But that kind of tradition that really you have encapsulated too, the importance of um, women running successful businesses. I mean, I think that's, you know, one of the things, yeah. the lessons I've learned. The social responsibility to, to people who, um, who see what you do. Mm. Do you feel a great responsibility? Yeah, I do. I think you do. No, I yeah. do. I take it very seriously. I mean, I joke about every day, but, you know, I, I take what I do very seriously. Um, and I think you have to when you're at the level that I'm at. It is serious because people rely on you. But at the same time, I have such a passion for what I do that it makes it enjoyable. You know, it's yeah, no, I do. I take it very seriously. Yeah. Well, I think you're both considered thought leaders, so that would be why. Yeah, I mean, my brain never stops. It's spinning in five million different directions. It, you know, it's like planets going around. You know, occasionally one stops, talk to it, and it goes off and it goes around. But I think, you know, you're the same. We're always on something. There's, but when you're a real entrepreneur, you're, that's what almost lights you up every day that you've got so many things happening you're spinning plates and every so often you catch a few and then you create this and then you've got a few more and that's what makes it exciting and hopefully for the people that work with you it makes it exciting because you're constantly bringing in new things Fresh ideas and um, what would be the biggest piece of advice you would give to a, a young person starting out in our industry today just to go for it, you know. Funny enough, today on my Instagram, some woman wrote to me saying, you know, that she liked one of the posts that we'd done and that her daughter was 12 and was obsessed with my Instagram page and wants to be an interior designer. And it was a long, long message. And she said, you know, what, what should she do? And I wrote back and said, look, this is brilliant. I said, I was her age. And I, funny enough, told the same story to this woman. I was like busy, mm -hmm. you know. And she wrote back and said, you've made my day. Because I said, send me your address and I'll send her some signed books. <laughs> and then she was saying one more question. She kept asking, because once you let them in, it's like a million questions. What should she do? And I said she should continue 
looking and observing, but continue at school and when she's old enough to do work experience. Because I think the younger you are, if you know what you want to do, go for it, you know? And I, and I said, come and work for Martin. <laughs> 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 because, you know, we can afford to pay 12-year-olds. <laughs> um, to paraphrase that old thing, you know, you know nothing of design if you only know design. You know, uh, you know, you have to be interested in all sorts of stuff, I think. You know, and, and I think that's yes. very important. Mm. You know, interested in the whole hinterland of culture and, and history. So and, that uh, you're informed. So that mm. you're informed. And what would you say to your 22-year-old self if you could? Be a banker. <laughs> <laughs> Make fun. You're very funny. That's more money. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. Thank you. I think let's have a round of applause. It's a wonderful concept. Thank you so much to Kelly and Martin for your time today. That has just been the most inspirational conversation. I'm sure everybody in the audience would wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> yes, excellent discussion. Thank you both so much. Thanks also to Andrew Martin for hosting us here today at their wonderful showroom. Please do pay it a visit. And to our series partners, Havewoods, the prevailing name in beautiful wood flooring. And a final thank you to you, our audience. Round of applause for the audience. Okay. We do hope you've enjoyed this episode and please do get in touch on our social channels at Interior Design Business Pod. The Interior Design Business is a Wildwood Plus production. Thank you. Thank you.